0: And sometimes we, when we're writing an academic paper, we say what it's not about. So this morning, this sermon is not about uh, the width of the church and the kingdom. It's not about many things. This is a sermon, a message that's about you, just you. And so there are limitations, and there are many things that aren't going to be covered. But this is, as we begin this academic year in many ways, this semester, I want to talk to you as a person. I want to talk to you about who you are and how you understand how you fit in with God's mission in your life and also thinking of Jesus as a model for our ministry. So this is just the president talking to you individually, sharing passages of Scripture that have meant a great deal to me in my own sense of Christian call and also my sense of mission. So I want you to pray this morning that you might have, in the midst of all the things that you have going through your minds, that you'd pray that the Lord would use the Scripture and this this message just to encourage you. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, as we come together in this place, for some of us it's been years upon years that we've gathered in this chapel and we've sensed you working in our lives in days of discouragement. We've come and a a word has come from you. There are times when it is in the ministry of music or it may be through a prayer that we're encouraged. You know what's happening in each of our lives. And as we come here today, we pray that we might simply open ourselves to your word and understand something. Greater and more of who you are, and how we fit in with your plan. Thank you, in Jesus' name, Amen. So the college has a, a long mission statement in the act of incorporation. I'm not going to read that. We have taken from that mission statement a simple phrase, which is equipping Christians to serve. So that's the mandate and the mission that we understand for co- for our college, and it comes, we believe. From the scriptures, equipping Christians to serve in all kinds of capacities. Some of you here this morning do not yet know exactly what your mission field is. You don't know what service it is that God has prepared for you. Some of you are preparing for traditional pastoral ministry. Others of you, within the context of that, may be called to plant a church. Some of you may work in a specific ministry in a local church with youth or with children or with older adults. Others of you may be called to go to a field across the globe. Some of you may be called to work in uh, as a lay, what we might call a layperson's capacity as a Christian. I don't know what it is that God is calling you to do, but this morning I want to talk to you about what is He calling you to be. Because it is out of our being that our ministry will flow, whatever that's going to be. And I want to take us to three scriptures, and as usual, there'll be many things that I want to say to you, but you can't bear them or there's not time. <laughs> so I will work my way through this as the Lord has helped me to rethink some things. And it is not, a, it, these are passages that I have used from time to time in classes, they're passages that I keep coming back to. And it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And we find him uh, south of Jerusalem. Some of us have traveled in the area that we think this took place. Uh, near the country of Jordan, the River Jordan, about probably an hour's drive south of Jerusalem, uh, a very barren place where John the Baptist is baptizing people. And I want you to notice, first of all, in this text, that Jesus identified with what God was doing in a renewal, in a revival, you may call it, but in a renewal. I want to say to you and to me this morning... We need to identify with what God is doing. We're not soloists in the kingdom. Jesus came to John. Did John want to baptize Jesus? He didn't. Do you remember from the text what he said to Jesus when Jesus said to him, I want you to baptize me, John? And John said what? I'm not worthy. In fact, he gave an illustration. He said, I'm not worthy to do something. And what was it? He said, I'm not even worthy to do what? Do you know what that's all about? That was the the role of the one of the lowest roles in a household. If someone was traveling and they come in, it's the washing of their feet. I'm not even worthy to bend down and untie your sandals so as to wash your feet. That's what John said to Jesus. And Jesus said, Let it be so for now to fulfill righteousness. I want you to note in the passage that Jesus saw God at work in John. God's at work in his church. He's at work through his kingdom. You're not a soloist here today. You join what God is doing. Where do you see God at work? Your life and your call is to the church. You're not a soloist. I remember a particular mission person who was actually had stopped at a mission host in London and different folks were there going out with this mission going out with that mission and she was asked well where, who are you going with and she said oh I'm not going with anybody I'm on my own now does God use soloists yes but generally and particularly he uses people whose call is really affirmed directed by the church so we spend a lot of time in this place talking about your call your sense of call What scripture has God used to talk to you? What's He doing with you and you and you? But Jesus heard the Holy Spirit when He was baptized say, the Father said, the Spirit came upon Him. The Father said, you are my beloved Son. In you I'm well pleased. I want to say to you this morning, your identity as a child of God is foundational for whatever else you're going to do. And it doesn't depend upon you. You're His child. Yes, you've received Him. But He's had His eye on you, the Scripture says, before you were formed in your mother's womb. He says to you this morning, you are my beloved child. But I want to say to you today... Sometimes we can't hear that voice of the Spirit because we're not all wired that way to hear this amazing experience and someone stands up and says, oh, the Lord said to me. And you go, he didn't talk to me like that. Be careful. And here's the good news I want to say to you, and I don't think it's stretching the Scriptures. The Spirit sometimes and generally and sometimes very specifically speaks through the body. You will hear through the church, through his people, where God is already at work. You are my beloved. The voice of God, yes, individually, specifically by the spirit. But the spirit is in the body. Jesus, it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as He was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in bodily form like a dove. The voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. He was about 30. He began His ministry. The Spirit came upon Him. Your identity first and foremost and forever, no matter whatever you do, you're a child of God. You've been baptized. You know what it means to be baptized? Baptists love to talk a lot about water and the amount of it. Well, the word baptized doesn't mean to submerge, immerse. All right, that's fine. But what I want to say to you today is what you've heard me say different times. To be be baptized is to be grafted in in this beautiful Annapolis Valley. We talk a lot about grafting in of trees and root and all that. To be baptized is not just to be joined with God. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, you are baptized, what? Into The body. There are no solo artists in the kingdom, in the work. Your call is the call of the body. Do you understand that? You're joined to Jesus, but you are equally joined to his body. And the body will call out the gifts. It's not just about you saying, oh, I've got this gift and that gift. The body will call. I'll tell you, when we came to a Katie Devendi College ten years ago, it was the body, over a period of a year, affirming, pushing, <laughs> nudging, saying, come, go there. And we were praying our hearts out over months and thinking, is it possible that God would do it? God often pushes us out of the limits of we, where we're comfortable, but it's the body. You're not alone, is what I'm trying to say to you here today. And at Acadia, when we try to equip Christians to serve, we do it together. Jesus joined where he saw God at work and John said, I must decrease, he must increase and we know what became of Jesus. Well, after his baptism, did he go right to the Galilee and start preaching and healing and teaching? Nope. Where did he go? Where did he go? Anybody? He went to the desert. Some of us have traveled in that area. We know that Jericho is nearby. This area, the traditional site of where Jesus was baptized. Jericho's a little oasis, but just beyond it is desert. Jesus was roaming about in that desert for 40 days. Now, we can spend a lot of time just on this text. We don't have it. I just want to say to you this morning, it's not stretching it to say to you, he met the enemy. He met the accuser. And the first thing that the devil tried to say to him is, if you are the son of God. I think the enemy comes as your accuser and mine says, if, if, if you really were a Christian, if you really were called, if you were called, you would have got that theological education done a whole long time ago. Look, you wasted all those years. Or if you really had a life you wanted to live, go do something else. If you want a lot of money in your life and you want to make it happen, go do something. What are you doing? If you really were called, you'd just get on with it. You'd be like the missionary in London who said, I'm not waiting for people to send me. I'll just Go. I don't know what temptations, but I'll tell you something. Jesus didn't only meet the devil in the desert, he met who? Himself. He met himself. And he was tested in every time he answered with the Word of God. You and I need to cultivate the spiritual discipline of going over and over and over with the Word of God so that that is the Word that speaks to us in our identity and also answers any accusation. The test that he came to, just think about this, he didn't eat during that time. He was hungry. And the first thing I'd say to you is, you will be tested in your life to use your resources in pastoral ministry or in Christian ministry for yourself. And there'll be times when you will feel, well, it's justified, I can do this and I can do that. I've talked... Earlier, well, it's been a number of years, Anna and I talked about something, about how in our Western culture, how in Nova Scotia culture, how in Christian circles there can come a culture of entitlement and compensation. I deserve. I'm entitled. Really? Really. Are you really entitled? And must you always and must I always be compensated for whatever ministry or service that I give? Now you can quote back to me, the laborer is worthy of his hire. I know. <laughs> I get it. But the devil said, if this is your primary thing, just take advantage and do this for yourself. Nobody's going to notice. Turn the stone to bread and eat it. You are hungry. I want to say to you today, I've been hungry. Not physically. Not physically but I've had an appetite at times to do things for myself that thankfully I've been able to resist. You will need that in your ministry, in your own identity. It is an appeal to selfishness, and our culture does not help us. The second thing was the devil took him in an instant. This is is spiritual language. Why did Jesus come? He came to win the peoples of the earth, did he not? There was a way to do it. It was through his life and also through his death. And the devil took him in an instant and took him to a place where he could see over the whole earth. He said, you're here on earth now and this really is my kingdom, by the way. Don't you remember? I'm the God of this age and if you'd just worship me and get over yourself, um, I'll give all this to you now. You can have all the conversations you want to have and look at all the exegesis of this text. The bottom line is Jesus could have taken a shortcut to accomplish what needed to be done in God's way. Sometimes we're tempted to take shortcuts. And and Jesus answered the old devil and said, No, you shall worship the Lord God. So sometimes you may be tested or tempted to take another way around. We used to sing an old hymn. Uh, we don't, You guys don't lead us in these old hymns sometimes. You'll need to. This one this morning was beautiful. They all were beautiful. But I'll tell you, there's one that you guys may know and you may not. It's an old gospel song that says, I must needs go home. Anybody know it? By the way of the cross. There's no... Thank you, Allison. There's no... You and I are... are we... Well... We are of a generation. There's no other way but this. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. When the Lord shows you the way, don't look for a shortcut. The last test came just be a miracle worker, Jesus. You're going to be here. You don't have to go to the cross. Feed the people of the world. Um, take over now. Just do miracles. Did Jesus do miracles? Yes, he did. Did he do miracles for everyone? I don't think he did. But he did declare who he was. The one was, you know, gather a crowd, jump off the top of the pinnacle of the temple, they'll all gather around and an angel will pick you up just as about the time you hit the ground and everybody will go, wow, that's the Messiah. Jesus said, no, don't tempt the Lord your God. Some of us in the room this morning may be tested in our selfishness. We may be tested to take a shortcut We may be tested to do things that are within our power to do. I want to encourage you this morning. Know your limitations and live within them until the Lord broadens your field. Ruth Haley Barton, a book that we use in the course I teach, says about the Apostle Paul that he knew the field that God had given him to work in and he knew better than to go outside that field. He knew there was a sphere of action and influence that had been given by God and he would not go beyond it. Pray to the Lord for the grace to live within your limits and to fulfill the mission of whatever it is that God has given you to do, not your neighbor or someone else, but you. There's a lot more that could be said about the temptations of Christ in the desert, but it's interesting that the Spirit is with him and angels attend him, But then he leaves there and he goes back to his hometown. And that's the third place that I want us to just focus for a few moments. When he went back to his hometown in Nazareth on that day, uh, it says in Luke 4, Jesus returned to Galilee. How? In the power of the Spirit. You'll also notice that it's the spirit that comes on him in his baptism. It's also actually the spirit. Doesn't one scripture translation says the spirit led him? The actual uh, the the the, um, the motive here is the spirit drove him in the desert. So he was let, not just led out into the desert. He was compelled. He was moved. He was put out there in the desert to go through what he had to go through. But now he's led north again. In modern day, it takes about an hour, maybe an hour and a half, to go from where he was up to the Galilee, my favorite place in Israel. This beautiful Sea of Galilee, and he's all these beautiful little towns all around there and in that region. He goes back, but he goes to his hometown of Nazareth. We visited there. It's an amazing place. It says that he went in uh, on the Sabbath to read. It was, he was given from the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And the text that he chose to read, and it's really important that you understand he chose this text. This is what was given to him to read. And if you're involved with Glenn's studies uh, or or Matt's in terms of Old Testament, we know this passage is about the suffering servant. It's about the Messiah. It's all of that. And he reads it. And it says that this is the text um, from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I'm really glad he stopped there. Because if you go on, which he didn't read, is end the day of vengeance of our God. So he stops. He, it says that he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. That would have been fine. He read from the passage, he just sat down. Now, this is what's very fascinating. It says, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, and these are the words that you and I need to hear very carefully. He said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It says, all says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. And it goes on to say how that changed so quickly until they became furious with him because he was speaking as the one who was fulfilling these words. And they got up and they drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. We could do a lot with that too, and we don't have time to do that. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is you will develop your own philosophy of ministry. You will develop your own way of carrying out the work that God has given you to do. Jesus, anointed in His baptism by the Spirit, led out in the desert, tested by the devil, answers with the Word of God, He comes to Nazareth, and He almost gives them... um, His modus operandi. He gives them his philosophy of ministry. He identifies with the word. He is the Messiah. And what is the role of the Messiah? What is our role in ministry? Folks, he says that he was anointed to preach good news. And then there is this one for the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners to recover sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We are empowered by the same Spirit for the same ministry. Have a really close look at the teaching of Jesus around the kingdom of God and the rule and reign of God Are you and I involved in a ministry of giving good news to the poor, which is more than words? Do we have action? What does it mean to proclaim freedom for prisoners? And we can go in many directions with that those not only who are incarcerated, but those who are in prisons of sometimes their own making. Recovery of sight for the blind, those who maybe once saw but now don't and need to, setting oppressed people free proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. This is kingdom work. It is a work of justice and righteousness. It is a work of proclamation in word and in deed. It is both. Compassion, justice, righteousness, kingdom work. It's a high calling. If I asked you to summarize this morning, as I do when people come to the examining council, I ask them, how would you summarize the work of Jesus? How would you describe him in a sentence or two? What did he do when he was here on earth? Some people say rightly. He taught. He healed. He had a ministry of compassion. Think about some of the individuals that Jesus touched, and this is how I want to conclude this morning. I want you to think about the gospel stories. I want you to think about the gospel accounts of Jesus interacting with people, all kinds of people, and I want you not to give a sentence a long sentence about it, but I want you to name either an individual or a group of people that Jesus interacted with. Anybody? Samaritan woman. Alright, the Samaritan woman. We know her story we know the story the sermons could be preached but the Samaritan woman he had a good word for her he spoke directly to her situation but he had a good word she became an, an evangelist go ahead Glenn Syrian alright and, and again someone outside the fold of what might have been called he came to his own but he also came to those beyond go ahead others lepers. the lepers what about them they normally weren't touched by people, were they? Outcasts. Think about that for a minute. In terms of some of the outcasts of our society, he touched them, he healed them. Who else? Fishermen. Okay, the common, ordinary people. He called to follow him. I don't know how long he would have been on those shores or developing a relationship. And you read it in Scripture, it almost looks like he commanded and they followed, but it probably was a relationship-building time with the ordinary people. Yep? Yeah. Who else? What else? Pharisees. Yeah, he did have some words for them, didn't he? (laughs) But I always think when I look through it, sometimes there's judgment that he brings upon them by his words, but I almost believe when it says here, recovery of sight for the blind, he came to help the people who became blind to get sight back. Pharisees. We don't know that they all took it, but we know there was one by the name of who that came? Nicodemus. Yeah. Who else? What else? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Again, a tax collector. Hopeless, fire society. Jesus says, I'm going to eat at your house today. Righteousness. And Zacchaeus, what does he do with the kindness? He responds beautifully, favorably. I'm going to make right what I've done wrong. What else? Who else? Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha. Yeah, not long ago I preached on the text. Actually, the Lord gave me. I used. I said earlier, be careful with that. I'm going to tell you that the thought came through my head very clearly, as this summer I prepared a memorial for a man who took his own life, and I thought, how am I going to do that? They said we don't want a lot of ease. We don't. Well, this is a secular kind of thing, and the Lord seemed to impress on me the scripture where Martha and Mary had gathered. And it is, the, it is the, the cry of the sister who says, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. He loved Lazarus. He stayed in their home. Hospitality. Who else comes to mind? Political leaders. Pardon? The political, yeah, absolutely, the political leaders of the day. Other individuals? Just the regular Jews. Just the regular Jews, exactly. The thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. Yeah, compassion right to the end. His Christ? own family. Pardon? His own family. His own family. Yeah, that's that's quite an account in itself. Sinners. Yes. Right. Children. Children. Yeah. Paul. Yeah, he does come to Paul, doesn't he? <laughs> Paul said he's a little late. He didn't you know, but he said, Nevertheless, the Lord came to him. (laughs) Folks, as I wrap this up this morning, I really would I really would want you to to understand something of your own self, who you are. You're not defined by somebody else. You're not defined by what people think. You're defined by, first of all, what God says about you, and He says, You're my beloved. In you, I'm pleased. You'll have all kinds of issues that you'll have to work through in your own tests and your own trials and temptations. Richard Foster wrote a book called Money, Sex, and Power, which has been the downfall of a lot of Christian leaders, one or the other sometimes combined. We have to work through the real issues. And I'll tell you something. If you don't learn how to work through the real issues while you're going through here, you're going to work through them somewhere. And let's not have people who are divided souls. Let's talk about what's really going on in our lives. Find a safe person. Work it through. And finally, what kind of philosophy of ministry are you going to have? Because if you're going to model your life and ministry after Jesus, it seems to me we need to be involved in the things that were important to Him. Ministries of compassion, justice, righteousness, the opening of the eyes to the blind, dealing with sinners, you know, the whole process of coming alongside people. So, for me, I'll just share this final word with you this morning. I will tell you that I recognize more than ever my sense of belonging not only to Jesus, but to those others who belong to Jesus. That's not always an easy relationship. Sometimes you think you just want to go off on your own and have your own little relationship with the Lord and do your own ministry. But I believe more than ever that it's the church that calls us in and sends us out. And I know that to the degree that we are healed in our own self and understand who we are, we'll have more freedom to share the love of God with others. And I want to encourage you in your own life and in your own ministry to take your direction from Jesus. And understand that any act of love and compassion and doing what's right and leading people to know the one who alone can give life in their own life, not only for their salvation, but for their whole life, that act will never go unnoticed. That is the ministry that we're called to. And in this community, please have patience with one another because we're not all as advanced as you think you are. (laughs) So as you go through this academic year, may you have great patience with yourself and may you offer the listening ear to someone else when they say something that goes against everything you think or believe. Listen before you speak and enter into a, a time of prayer on that too. I'm excited about the year ahead. I'm excited that you're here and we'll be learning together from one another how we can model our lives and our ministries after Jesus. So as we conclude this morning, the next few moments, how how can we pray in our community? Now, we've said this message is really about you as a person and you're going to have to do your own praying on that. But what kind, what kind of a community would we be if we are learning to listen to Jesus? What kind of a community of learning will we be? How can we pray for Acadia and for this place and for our classrooms in light of these kinds of things? What, kind, what would be your prayer? I think I, that there would be an openness to hear God's Word amongst other faculty. I'm not saying they're closed, but I think that that's, that's also a party reaction to how we are, how virtual right. we are. Right. Good. Lord, make it so. Others? what uh, What's the prayer? There's several students that we have that are uh, in full-time ministry and either doing part-time work, mm-hmm. full-time studies even that I'm concerned about. And yeah. Exactly. And, uh, and give uh, that diligent amount of time for those, those items. Lord, make it so. What else? Pray for the students who aren't here yet. Mm-hmm. Yes. Still wrestling. Yeah. Pray for patience and understanding for the instructors. Yeah. Good. Yes, others. Perhaps the families of the students. There's yes. Good. let take just about maybe a half a minute, and if there's something out of this text or that the Lord has been speaking to you about lately, just to you, can you give that over to Him in this next little bit? And then I'll close in just a moment. Lord God, maybe there's someone who simply needs to hear from you that they are yours. There may be someone dealing with a test or a temptation in their own heart. May they work that through with you and if need be with others as it may impact their mission that you've given them to do. There may be some who are yet unclear about how to go about the ministry that you've given or what that ministry is of proclamation of the truth of the gospel together with justice and righteousness, mercy and compassion. May we together as faculty, staff and students Be empowered by your Spirit in all the circumstances of our lives and know that we're not soloists in this, but that we are together with your people. Help us. For your sake and your name's sake, we pray. Amen.